Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. You know, uh, when you look at the history of Christianity, when you look at the history of the church, one of the things that you see is back in the very beginning, back when the river started to first flow, as it were, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus, He poured His Holy Spirit upon His church. And after pouring out His Holy Spirit upon His church, we, we see something happen in the church, a repeating pattern over and over again, and that is that the people in early Christianity were devoted to prayer. They sought God. And what you also see is that all through history, every time there have been awakenings in nations, every time there have been what we might call revivals, Every time God has moved in a country, moved in an area or a region and done something of a supernatural nature that changed that region, that changed people, that that brought a a greater sense of, of God and an awareness of His presence, every time that's happened, it was preceded by people choosing to seek God. Yeah, they were bidden by Him to come. They were aware of a burden in their hearts to pray, but they were devoted to prayer. And I believe that's something that God wants to do in our church, in our city, our nation, our world. We desperately need an awakening in our time. We need God to do something fresh in our nation and something fresh in our land. Amen? So I want you to notice just uh, the original followers of Jesus were really devoted to prayer. I mean, Acts 1.14 says this, all these, speaking of the Christians, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. You see that? All of them were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So prayer was integral to the lives of the early Christians because they knew Jesus was Lord, they knew Jesus was alive. Think about it. These people had walked with Christ for three years. They had put all their hope in Him. They had trusted and believed that He was their long-awaited Messiah. Then they watched Him falsely charged. They watched Him go through a sham trial and false accusers come and, and say He's guilty of blasphemy and He did this and He did that. And then they watched Him be tortured and beaten and spit upon and his body ripped and shredded. Then they watched him hung upon a Roman cross, and they saw him die an agonizing death, and when he died, something in them died. All of them had been putting their hope in him being the Messiah. They were counting on being a part of his administration. They thought, you know, John and James, his brothers, were like, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? They understood something. If you're up next close to power, you get to be a part of it. And now they watch the one whom they put all their hopes in die. And, and, and like most of us would be, they were hiding away in a room. They had no courage. They had no sense of what was coming. Jesus had told them plainly and clearly, I'm going to be delivered up to the elders and the chief priests, and they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to, I'm going to die, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But they were blind and deaf and dull to that. So now Jesus rises from the dead, 
And it's accompanied by earthquakes and angels and all kinds of supernatural events. And he's alive. And over 40 days, he appears to them. And as he appears to them, he teaches them. And their lives have been turned upside down. They've been reinstated. They have hope now. And now Jesus is, uh, you know, says, go into all the world. But before you go, I want you to pray. And you wait. You wait in the city, and I'm going to give you power to do what I've called you to do. So they went to Jerusalem, they waited, and they prayed for 10 days. They did not know what to expect. They didn't know what was going to happen. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And one of the things that we see in the early church was this devotion to prayer because they knew something. Think about this. They knew Jesus was God in the flesh. That God had come among them as Emmanuel, God with us. That God had walked with them and talked with them and accompanied them and done miracles in front of them, raised dead people, touched and cleansed lepers. They saw fish and loaves multiplied. They saw him walk on water. They watched him do the things that turned their world upside down and shook them up. They listened to the most sublime and profound teaching in human history. They'd observed all of this and then he ascended and sent the Spirit and they knew something. They were, they were so confident in this reality God is near, and when we pray in the name of Jesus, He's not far off. He's right here with us. And because He's right here with us, and He's called us into a partnership in prayer with Him, and He's going to do things on planet Earth that are going to change this world as we know it. Everything's changed. Listen, when you see a dead man rise from the dead, everything changes. And their whole world was turned upside down, and now they knew he was very present. He was at hand. He was in their midst. And they knew that whenever they prayed, God was going to act and he was going to work. They were in partnership with him. Amen. So the question is, what happened to us? What happened to us? When did we quit believing? At least some of us. When did we quit believing that God really wants to partner with us in bringing heaven to earth? through our prayers and our actions. Because I know, I know how it is. I know how easy, easily we, we are swayed. I know how easy it is for us to forget what God's done for us, how real He's been in our life. And many of us in this room, we've gotten weary in the journey. Some of us in this room, we, we barely pray anymore. We barely spend time with God. And the reason is, you know, multiple reasons, right? Manifold. Frustration, it seems like he's not there. It's not life-giving to us. We run out of words. We don't have the right methods. We get tired. We, we have all the reasons in the world, and some of them are very legitimate. But I think at the essence and the root of it all is we don't really believe he's right here. And so what I want to do in the weeks ahead, and I know Drew's going to be preaching next Sunday, and as we prepare for this 24-7 time is, hopefully encourage you that prayer isn't some kind of thing for the super spirituals. It's not just for the elite. That prayer is something for a child. I love what that little boy said. I, th I think he said the most profound thing. He said, well, what did he say? He said something like, like um, I, we wrote down on a piece of paper and that God um, is the best person I ever heard of. When he said that, I'm like, Bam! God is the best person I ever heard of. I'm like, amen, preacher, right? 
And, and, and so what I want to do is, is help us to see that Jesus was the game changer and he can help us make prayer a priority in our life if we'll just think differently about it on a few fronts. So here's the first point. If you're a note taker, I, I just want to tell you what Jesus does to change our prayer lives. The first thing he does is he makes prayer significant. What does that mean? One thing you see repeatedly in the Bible is that prayer is never a waste of time. It's never insignificant. Prayer is not the thing we do before we do what's important. Prayer is not just something we do until we work. Prayer is the work. Did you hear what I just said? It's a part of the work. What we do in prayer is what shapes what happens on planet earth. Without our work in prayer, this planet would sink into depths of evil beyond anything we can even imagine. God does the work, but we partner with Him. See, we, we don't see what's really happening. The Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, started what we call the Methodist Church, Methodism, in the 1700s. They had a radical conversion, and they were called Methodists because they came up with methods to serve God, to follow God, to pray, to meet in small groups. They had all these Methodists, so they were branded Methodists. One of the things that John Wesley said, and I'm quoting him by memory, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he said basically that God does nothing on planet earth that people haven't first prayed about. So I just want you to think of all the works of God through all of the centuries and the generations and you know the fact that universities came out of Christianity, out of the church that hospitals came out of Christians. You, know, you might not have known that. Even in this country, all the Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, all of them started as ministry training schools for Christians to learn the Bible. They're not that anymore, but that's where they started. So you begin to understand that so many of the beautiful, wonderful, amazing things, yes, terrible things too, but amazing things that took place on earth came about because people felt the burden of God, got the thoughts of God, God put things in their heart, on their heart, and they began to pray about those things as individuals, and then they got other people to partner with them, and then they began to pray in unison, pray in chorus, and as they prayed God for God to move on planet earth, God began to arrange that all the resources, all the finances, all the people that are the right people, everything would come together and fit into place like a puzzle, so that his will and his kingdom could come from heaven to earth. Amen. That's significant. You see, the lie that comes to us when we're going to spend time with prayers, I don't have time for this, because we've come to believe that there are other things more important, and prayer seems like, to some of us at least, like a waste of time, like it's not significant, it's not important. How can my prayers make a difference? God, you know, God just uses the, spirit, the super spirituals, the elite, and no, God says it's, it's significant and I want you and you and you and you and you and you and you, 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 I want you to come and join me and partner with me in this. Amen? Yeah. Secondly, Jesus makes prayer simple. Simple. Simple doesn't mean easy. How many of you know there's a difference between simple and easy? Right? Like I've learned in my marriage that a lot of times our conflict or the tension between us, the issue is simple, but it show ain't easy. Right? There are times I don't get my wife. I don't understand where she's coming from. I don't understand that female mind. 
Somebody wrote a book years ago called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. And they were talking about the way men think, you know, categories and blocks. And, and then women are just like, woo, everything's touching. And, you know, and, and I, you know, sometimes when my wife and I are trying to communicate, I understand it's simple. Listen, Doug, shut your mouth and listen. Don't fix. Leave it alone. Listen. Right? And that's one of the realities to communication. So it's simple, but it's not easy. All communication in any relationship requires work and time. God is much more unlike us, think about this, than our spouses are or our children, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. Right? He's God. So prayer is not easy because it's communication, but it is simple and it is doable. God's not looking for a great performance in your prayer life. God's not looking for you to be the best prayer, have the right words, say it all right, get the formula down. He doesn't care about that. God wants to meet you as you are right where you are. When we get in trouble in any area of our life is when we begin to compare, when we begin to measure ourselves according to other people, when we begin to think and we hear that voice in the back of our head that says, you don't even know how to pray, you don't even have the right words. And you should, that should, you, you should do that much longer. You only prayed for five minutes and now you're out of words and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do and you think you're a failure and I want to tell you that's a lie. God's like, oh, I love your voice. I love time with you. You don't even have to say anything. You can be here with me, and all is good, all is well. Jesus made prayer simple. It's kind of like this little girl, David DeBoard shares about this. He says, a father was walking past his five-year-old daughter's room one night, proudly noticing that she was on her knees in prayer. Listening in, he heard this curious prayer she was praying. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. She did this several times. When she was finished, she asked her what it meant. And she said, God is really smart. When I don't know what to pray about, I just say the alphabet and he figures it out for me. <laughs> now, that might be simplistic. And the reason we laugh and we go, ah, is because we know down in our own hearts, we know the essence of that truth, the reality that God gets what we're trying to say even when we run out of words, we run out of language, we feel inadequate, we feel like we're not good at it. Sometimes my prayer to God is, Lord, I don't have words. And one of the things that we can do is pray in the Spirit, and that's a wonderful gift, and that's for another teaching. But, but sometimes I just don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to say. And you know what I'll say to God? Lord, hear the words of my heart that I don't seem to be able to form. Hear What's going on inside of me? I don't even know how to pray about this. Number three, Jesus makes prayer approachable. Prayer is not, as I've said already, for the spiritually elite. Prayer is for children and new converts and mature Christians. Prayer is communication at whatever stage of growth a person is in. Those who make prayer an elite activity of the super spiritual people misrepresent God's heart and lock people outside of God's courts. You see, there aren't spiritually elite people. The beautiful thing is, is that whatever stage or age or place of growth, however much you've learned about prayer, however long you've walked with God, that's where God meets you. 
He doesn't want you to be like somebody that has walked with the Lord for 50 years if you're only in the Lord for six months. There isn't this thing where he's like, oh, they're not saying the right words and they didn't do that with the right inflection and, you know, they, they prayed this off a little bit and, you know, their doctrine and their theology isn't perfect, so I'm not going to hear them. He's hearing your heart and he's giving you time to grow and correct your doctrine and theology. He's not going to, you know, it's like if you pray, Lord, you know, I want you to bring me the moon. Obviously, he's not going to answer that prayer. Not yet, at least. Maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, when he recreates everything, maybe he'll bring you the moon. Right? But the, the reality is, is he, he knows our hearts and he meets us where we are. Is this making sense to anybody? Jesus makes prayer attainable. This is really important, attainable. In prayer, we start where we are and we grow and we add tools and skills to our prayer lives over time. There's no exactly right way or time or place or posture to pray. Prayer is like all growing communication within a relationship. It changes, it grows, and it matures over time. Time goals, I want to pray this long. Methods, do I kneel, do I stand, do I walk? All of those things are important, but they, they can never be used to condemn people or make them feel defeated or unable to pray. I pray better walking, but then sometimes I pray, pray better kneeling. A lot of times I like to walk. You see, God's not, God wants to let us off the hook here. Just be with me. O open my word and talk to me about it. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your children, your struggles, what you don't get, why you're disappointed, what made you happy. Tell me about it. And then just listen to me a little bit and read my scripture. And in that, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to meet you. And if you can do that for five minutes, you've won. You go into prayer. A lot of times people go into prayer. They're like setting a goal. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm not saying goals are bad. But they get five minutes in and they're like, I've run out of words. And then they walk away feeling like, God failed. I'm not good at this. And God's like, oh, I'm just glad you spent time with me. Why don't you come back tomorrow? Or actually come back anytime today. We can talk. You see, this is a relationship. Let's not forget it. This isn't just some kind of religious rote ritual, these methods, these steps. If you do this, that, and the other thing, then you'll be spiritually elite. That's bull. Are you following me? Okay. Prayer, Jesus makes prayer a partnership. I've used this term multiple times, but I want you to think about it. Prayer is partnership with God. In prayer, God works with us to bring His will into the earth. Through prayer and action, notice I said action, we get to partner with the sovereign God in bringing about His works on planet earth. God brings the change to the earth through people who pray. It's partnership. How does that work? You ever been going along in your life and something begins to become compelling to you, really bother you, really weigh upon your heart? You see the plight of children, you see the poor, you see the homeless, you see people and you're, you're struggling and you're like, you know, what do we do about this? How do I handle this? And it's really messing you up and you begin to give voice to that inner burden, that inner struggle, and you begin to talk to God about it. Now you know what's happening? You're starting the process of partnership. God's like, you know why you're feeling that way, right? I'm putting that in your heart. I want you to care about that. 
and you start in prayer, and eventually I'm going to give you some actions, right? And we have a couple sitting right up here in the front, Jeremiah and Amanda, and they got the burden about what do we do about people, and, and they have a ministry that helps feed people that are homeless, and that burden start, that's a partnership. God laid, God laid a burden on their hearts so that they could partner with Him in ministering to people. And that's what He does. Amen? Lastly, and most importantly, Jesus makes prayer relational. Relational. This is what it's all about. Prayer is one of the main ways we get to know God and what He wants to do on earth. Prayer is dialogue, not monologue. Prayer is listening and speaking. Prayer is God sharing with His family and friends what He wants to do in their lives and in their world. Prayer is God revealing Himself to us so we can know Him and make Him known to others. Right? It's relational. You know, we say following Jesus is a relationship, not religion. We say that all the time, but have you ever noticed how quickly and easily you make your relationship into a religion? Yeah. Not all religion, religion in and of itself is not bad. James tells us there's pure and undefiled religion. So religion can be redeemed and good. That word can be a good word, but most of us take and make this person into a scheme, a plan, a method. But we're dealing with mystery. We're dealing with beauty, wonder, God. And God invites us to know Him. And I want to tell you, if, if, if this year, if the only thing you accomplish in your life, now some of you aren't going to believe, agree with this because you have such lofty goals to be successful and to accomplish this, that, and the other thing, and goals are good and go for it. But let me just tell you something. If the only thing you did this year was get closer to God and come to know Him more, you actually accomplished the most significant and important thing that could have ever happened in your life. That trumps everything else. Because see, knowing God, think about it. You need creativity, you need wisdom, you need knowledge, you need understanding. Who is creativity, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Who is it personified in? Telling you what, you get to know Him, He'll download what you need. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things that the Gentiles are running after in the world and seeking will be added to you, will pursue you. Like you, if you're not out there chasing it, chasing the buck, chasing success, chasing, if you're not out there chasing it, but you're chasing him, he'll make that stuff chase you. Am I talking to anybody? I'm almost out of time. So I just want to read a scripture text and share a quick few thoughts to end this, okay? So look at this text with me. And, and this is, I want to end with this idea. I'm going to take one of these points I've been making today, and I want to end with this idea. Jesus makes prayer simple. And here's what it is. Come be alone with your Father in secret. Right, we're going to talk about secret prayer for a moment to end this. So Matthew 6 Five and six, look at it with me. Jesus is teaching on prayer. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Notice the motive, to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me just be clear about something. Jesus is not saying that public prayer is wrong or group prayer is wrong. And the reason we know that is because Jesus prayed publicly, and He called His disciples to do it, and He prayed with groups, and then the early church prayed all the time in groups and all the time publicly. So what's Jesus getting at? Jesus is getting at the heart and the motive, right? He's getting, what inside of you are you looking for? And what he's saying is the Pharisees in that time, they would walk out on the street corners and make sure a good crowd was established right in their area where they would be teaching. And they would pray these lofty prayers, quoting all this scripture and really making a big to-do. And then people would be like, wow, that was a beautiful prayer. And they'd be like, thanks. And at that moment, they received the answer to their prayer because they weren't really praying to God. They were praying to men. And so the pat on the back and the attaboy and you're such a mighty prayer warrior, that's all they ever received. God didn't hear a word of it, right? And now then the person who has a heart toward God and blubbers and can't come up with words and stumbles over their words, but their heart is toward God and they're just like, help God, I, I don't know how to pray, I'm a mess. I just pray you to help my family, help me, I'm a mess. I, I don't even know what to say, God. I mean, just help me, Lord. God's like, ooh, that's what I like to hear. That's the prayer that moves me. Because they're not talking to people, they're talking to me. Amen? Amen. So your motive is really important. And Jesus says, when you pray, and you know what that implies? That implies, implies we're going to pray, not if you pray. Can I get an amen? When you pray. And that means set aside a time. And I have a little ditty I came up with. I got to change the words around a bit, but, but here's, here's my, my input to you on prayer. Uh, Start your day in prayer and talk along the way and end your day in prayer by saying thank you for the day, right? So start in prayer, talk along the way, and end with a thank you. There's a good way to pray. I feel like Dr. Seuss, <laughs> right? And then he says, go into your room. And the Greek word for room here is a secret room, a chamber, a storage place. And basically it means wherever you can get alone. So you have to define your own room. Where is the place that you can get alone and quiet? Do you need to take a walk? Your room could be out in a field somewhere. Um, do you need to go into your backyard or retreat to a guest room? Is it the bathtub or the shower? The bathroom, a closet. Some of you, your, your room is your car. Isn't that true? Yeah. Find a place to get alone for enough time to still your soul, read some scripture, pour your heart out to God, and just wait. Leave your phone behind, get off social media. Some things in life need to be in a private place with a locked door. We know in general, intimacy is not something you do in public, whether it's with humans or with God, right? Unless you're in a corporate prayer meeting and that's different. <laughs> I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. He said, the desire for solitude is often the first sign of prayer. 
real quick. I'm almost done. Just a personal story. I've learned something in my life. The moments when I'm feeling a deep sense of loneliness, and yet I have people around me that love me, my wife, my children, those moments in my life when just something aches inside of me, and no human fellowship and connection seems to scratch it, those are the times that God is bidding me to come. Because there are parts of me and parts of you that can only be touched and filled and spoken to by God. You were created for God and by God for His pleasure. And so you have to start to recognize the signs. That thing inside of you that's just like, you know, nothing, you know, putting on Netflix and binging a series, you come away empty, right? And putting music on that normally scratches an itch, you come away empty. Doing that hobby you like to do, you come away empty. That might be God's way of saying to you, will you come close to me? I want to meet with you. And I'm telling you what you'll find out is when you begin to give yourself to those times, when you start to, instead of filling those times with the other stuff, you begin to fill those times with, here I am, Lord. God's going to meet you and do something wonderful in your life. Amen? Jesus says, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. I want you to think about this. God's always ahead of you. What do I mean by that? It's never your idea to come meet God somewhere. It was His idea. It was His invitation. And so when you say, I'm going to get up in the morning I'm going to go to that place that's my room. I'm going to read some scripture and I'm going to talk to God. Before I go to bed at night, I'm going to say thank you and just talk to him for a few minutes about my day. And if I yelled at somebody, ask him to forgive me. And just, you know, take care of that business. When you do that, God's already there waiting for you in the secret place. And he wants you to come. And he's going to meet you. And the Father, think about what Jesus said here in that text. It's so profound. And the Father who sees you in the secret place will reward you openly. That's so profound. What is he, what is he saying? Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, said this, the effect of praying in secret is once again a remarkable difference in the life of the believer. The visible side of your life will involve highly significant events that cannot be explained in terms of the visible world. See, besides the privilege of getting to know God more intimately, prayer will result in your life being a conduit for God's blessings, gifts, and kingdom purposes in other people's life. Right when you need to have the right thing to say, you'll have it. Right when you need to meet the right person in a situation to bring God's life to them, it'll happen. You'll find that because you're doing secret work alone with your Father, He's doing a work through you with other people. And your life will begin to be marked by a supernatural touch that can't be explained other than divine help, divine grace. So, get with God. 
He's already there waiting. He's inviting you. And man, does He love you. You know, sometimes when I preach, and anybody who's preached will understand this, you become aware as you're talking to people that God's present in the room and that He really loves people. Like I'm looking at you right now and I'm feeling God's heart for you. And it's like I hear the Father saying, come, come and spend time with me. And listen, just spend time with Him. Don't perform. Don't, don't feel like you have to set the timer. Don't do it out of duty. Hear the invitation. Come and be with me. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to heal you. I can honestly say I have probably had more healing in my life because I have a lot of brokenness. I've probably had more healing in my life from just spending time with God than any other thing. Jesus is my counselor and my healer, and he'll be the same for you. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Amen? So how many of you want a revival in your prayer life? How many of you right now are feeling like there's something inside of you that's going, hey man, I want that. That's God. So let's pray into that. You right now, you and me, let's, let's all of us here, let's do business with God. And let's, let's ask Him to, to do a new work in our hearts. And listen, if you're here and you say, I don't even have that desire and it troubles me, here's the beautiful thing. Paul says in Philippians that it is God who is at work within us both to will and to work for his, his good pleasure. So, so what is Paul saying there? Paul's saying that God not only gives you the ability to do something, he even gives you the will to want to. So God wants to give you a want to. And some of you are here today and you're like, I don't even have the want to and I'm troubled by that. That's okay. Confess that to him and then say, Lord, give me the want to. Give me the one, two. Let's pray. Come on. You talk to God and I'll talk to God. Father, hear our hearts right now. Hear our cry. Hear the desire we have inside of us. Thank you for meeting us in your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bidding us to come near to you over and over again. For not giving up on us. As Pastor Raul talked about earlier, you're your pursuit, your chase of us over the ages, over the years. You've changed our lives and you've never quit loving us. You've never given up on us. Lord, change our hearts. Give us a revival in our prayer life. Give us an awakening internally. Fill us with hunger and thirst and desire. Bring us close to your heart. Teach us how to pray. Help us to be patient with ourselves and with you. Help us not to be so hard on ourselves. Deliver us from the need to perform. Help us not to compare. Lord, just help us be comfortable in our own skin and talk to you from our own hearts. Thank you for it. Hear us, Lord. Will you stand with me?